Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We dive into the protests and counter-protests over school policies on gender identity. I also discuss AI in healthcare, resisting Nazi Germany, catchy company slogans, and the latest Lions Lair finalist. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Oh, it was like a jungle outside yesterday in many cities across Canada, including here in Hamilton, where... Hundreds in Hamilton, thousands across the country yesterday came out for protests and counter-protests about school policies on gender identity. As I mentioned, hundreds gathered outside the Hamilton Public School Board office as well as City Hall on Wednesday morning. And with a recap of what went down yesterday, here is CHML reporter Lisa Poleski. Dozens of One Million March for Kids protests were held across Canada on Wednesday to denounce policies surrounding sexuality and gender identity in schools. Organizers say the goal of the marches is to speak out against what they call LGBTQ propaganda in the education system. Just after 10 a.m., hundreds of people marched up to the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board's head offices, holding signs and chanting... Tanya Logan was among those marching. She says she's a grandmother and that the march isn't about being anti-LGBTQ. It's about keeping secrets from parents. It's about keeping children safe. All children, gay children. Everybody should be kept safe. Everybody. All children in school. But teachers do not have the right to influence and indoctrinate push their ideology on children. It's it's pretty simple. Wendy Steinbeck explains why she decided to come out for the march. This march is not about... Uh, being against gays or trans or any of those people. It's about what the school board is teaching our children and our inability to make any difference with that. Parents have the right to educate their own children about what they want them to know about sex at the time that the parents want to, not when the school board insists. She says she was a teacher for 30 years and is concerned that parents aren't being listened to. Parents are saying, no, you have no right to say what the curriculum is. It might be said by the province, but the bottom line is, it's parents, the kids belong to the parents, not to the school board. And to say that to them that they have no right to to their input is just wrong. A day before the march, the Hamilton Public School Board issued a statement saying it respects the right to freedom of expression but does not support targeted protests against specific communities, saying, quote, hate has no home at HWDSB. That was also the message from counter-protester Rosemary Cooper. She says she's a retired principal with the board and wanted to show up to support students who are LGBTQ, including her own granddaughter. I know there's a lot of positive things happening in the board to support our kids who are identifying as part of the uh, two LGBTQ plus community. Uh, and I, I know they're working hard to make sure the kids are successful in school and successful in their social actions. Cooper says she's not concerned about the school board's policies on gender and sexuality, but rather... My concern for my granddaughter is always her social interaction with her peer group. Because as you know, through middle school and, and through secondary, it, there could be negative interactions with, you know, it just happens, kid to kids. So for me, I want to make sure she's supported in school 
and she's happy and she's doing well. Faith leaders from several local churches were also part of the counter-protest, including Reverend Warner Bloomfield from Grace United Church in Dunville. He says a Pride event there was targeted by anti-LGBTQ protesters a few years ago. It was invaded by, I'll use the word invaded, yeah. by a group of, of very anti-LGBTQ Pride uh, uh, activists yep. from all over the place uh, who disrupted things. I ended up speaking at that, and at that event, I said that uh, part of I, I can't I can't speak for, for I can't I can't speak for the community, but I can stand with them, listen to them, and. Uh, when necessary, stand, stand to shield. Reverend Debbie McMillan says her church is an affirming one, and part of that means showing up to offer support where it's needed. Jesus did his ministry at the margins of society. He uh, met with the people that nobody wanted to meet with because they were deemed sinners, whatever that means in, in their context at the time. And today, um, as one of the protesters actually pointed out, this is the fringe, um, and they were pointing to us. Well, oh. if I am standing in the fringe, then Jesus is there, and that's where I need to be. The majority of protesters dispersed by the early afternoon. Hamilton police say they deployed their public order unit due to escalating behavior between the two groups. Upper Wentworth was also briefly closed with police citing public safety. Lisa Pileski, 900CHML News. Great coverage by Lisa Pileski with that report. The HWDSB releasing a statement yesterday saying, quote, while we respect the right to freedom of expression, we do not support targeted protests against specific communities. Hate has no home at HWDSB. We heard from Premier Doug Ford on this topic earlier this month. Do you recall him saying this? It's not up to the teachers. It's not up to the school boards to indoctrinate our kids, to hear what the kids are doing and not the school boards. I can't even figure out what school boards do nowadays, by the way. So we know where the Premier stands on this topic. By the way, isn't it up to the Education Ministry, which is run by the Ford government and Education Minister Stephen Lecce, who is overseen by Mr. Lecce? Uh, why, yes, yes it is. The Ministry of Education is responsible for overseeing all aspects of Ontario's public and early childhood education system under the Education Act... The ministry is responsible for setting the provincial curriculum, what students will learn in each grade. So how do you how do Ontario schools teacher gender and uh, sexual education? Well, topics like gender identity and sexual orientation are included in the Ontario government's health and physical education curriculum, which was released in August 2019 by the Ford government. And it was basically the same as the previous updated curriculum that the Wynne government had brought in earlier. And gender identity first appears in grade 8 when students learn about gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation and to identify factors that could help all young people to develop positive personal identities. I don't see the word indoctrination anywhere in the Ontario Ministry of Education curriculum there. Well, that is odd, isn't it? Teachers with the direction from their school board and school deliver plan units of study, develop a variety of teaching approaches and strategies, select appropriate resources to address the curriculum expectations, and meet the needs and abilities of the students in their classes. All of that info I just relayed to you is on the Education Ministry website. And it was in, within the curriculum delivered 
by the provincial government. So remove the word indoctrination because it is simply not happening. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We've been talking on this show, and you've you've heard it everywhere, and you've read it everywhere, you've seen it everywhere, artificial intelligence, AI. Whether it's ChatGPT or some other application, artificial intelligence is everywhere. The question is, is it also in healthcare? And if so, is it changing how we deliver healthcare? And could it in the future? Dr. Andrew Park is the president of the Ontario Medical Association, has been looking at this topic, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Park, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. So maybe explain how artificial intelligence is right now being used in healthcare. Is it to a great degree? Um, the, the short answer is no. I think we're at the, we're at the beginning of the start line uh, when it comes to it. But like everything else, um, application with AI is exploding, and it's something that um, with a heavily technology-based um, sector like healthcare, it's something that we have to uh, look at closely uh, because the growth in, growth in AI is outpacing pretty much everything right now. And so um, it's certainly our responsibility to look at it and also understand where it can benefit us as a, as a workforce. You had a panel discussion with some physicians about this yesterday, and one of the things you talked about is how technology is changing healthcare. Can you give us a glimpse of how tech is improving our healthcare delivery? Yeah, so, I mean, this is... Uh, I've been practicing for 15, 15 years plus, and I can see within the scope of my practice, I've seen a huge uh, benefit to the way we use technology. I mean, um, I was doing trauma scans with skull x-rays. <laughs> um, and in a short um, period of time, that's almost that's laughable now. I mean, in terms of the way we do trauma scans in major trauma centers, uh, it's, it's with the use of more sophisticated technologies like CT scans. I look at AI as a similar... Um, <clears throat> similar aid to the way we practice medicine in terms of how will it help us make decisions? How will it um, augment the information that we get, which is overwhelming at times? And doctors have said over and over, look, this information that we're receiving is, is, is copious, it's overwhelming. AI really has the potential to stratify, to, to categorize, and to help produce some information that we can make better and quicker decisions based on. A lot of people are have been displaced by artificial intelligence in one way or another on the job site. Will AI replace doctors? No. <laughs> uh, I think the short answer is no. I mean, again, we've been having this conversation around, uh, will the MRI replace the CT? Will the MRI replace the doctor? Um, and the short answer is no. I, I think that... Um, there's, there's a great great quote from the president of the American Medical Association, which I'll, I'll co-op, but it's the artificial intelligence will not replace doctors, but doctors using AI will, put, will replace doctors that don't. Um, so I think that it's, it's just going to be a, a tool like every other tool we have, like every other guideline we have. It's there to help us make decisions around patient care. But the reality is this, and I, I, this is one thing that I believe in to the core of my being, is that medicine and being a doctor is a very humane profession. It's about humans interacting with humans. Um, you, you don't, you know, you t- 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 patients want technology to help support their health care, but they don't want to be taken care of by, doc- uh, by robots. They want to be taken care of by humans who have empathy and can understand the, the pain that they're feeling. Um, and, and so, no, I, I don't think the AI will replace doctors, but I do think it'll help us. 
Dr. Andrew Park is the president of the Ontario Medical Association and is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we investigate the uh, importance and the use right now of artificial intelligence in the healthcare industry. Uh, from a predictability standpoint, does artificial intelligence uh, one day, will it allow us to predict disease? Yeah, I think that's where <clears throat> we have a uh, great potential is, is how does artificial intelligence take a vast set of data and, and data that we're not necessarily great at capturing, um, but hopefully we get better at that as we understand the capabilities of AI. But how does it take this mass amount of data and then the, 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 the gap here is, yes, we have data, but how does that translate into patient clinical outcomes? So the, the, one of the, the biggest areas would be is can you predict disease before we can see it around the corner? And if you can do that, then you have now saved a ton of patient lives. You saved a, a lot of morbidity, which is that, that the, the experience of illness, right? Um, and we can, we can do better preventative medicine um, and, and we can save our healthcare system or the human resources issues that we've been struggling with. There's an incredible amount of potential with this um, if used responsibly. Um, and I think that's, that's where we really you know, have to consider carefully is um, what is um, what is the potential of this and how do we use it most effectively? Why well, the, the sky is the limit, that is for sure. And we're, if we're talking about predictability and, and predicting health outcomes or disease, we're saving money, we're saving time, we're alleviating a lot of the pressures that the healthcare industry is currently struggling with to a great degree. Dr. Park, we'll have to leave it there. Really appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely, anytime. Dr. Andrew Park is the president of the Ontario Medical Association. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is the United Nations International Day of Peace. And so tonight at Brock University, quite timely, um, there's a lecture on tonight that's going to highlight the resistance by the persecuted in Nazi Germany. It begins at 6.30 tonight. It's called I Won't Go Along With This, Resistance by the Persecuted in Nazi Germany. And will feature esteemed scholar Kristen Simmons, Associate Professor of History at the University of Victoria and author of Under the Swastika in Nazi Germany. Joining us now is Kristen Simmons, as well as Elizabeth Vlasak, the Associate Dean of Research and Graduate Studies and Professor of History in the Faculty of Humanities at Brock University. Good morning, Kristen and Elizabeth. Good morning. Good morning. Kristen, we'll start with you. What should we expect to hear tonight? Well, I just want to say thank you for having us this morning. And uh, what I'm hoping that listeners will take away from tonight's talk is a kind of complicating of the idea of resistance. So I think we are quite used to thinking about what the Nazis did to their victims. But what I'm hoping will be emphasized tonight is that um, the, the victims responded and reacted and used their own agency to stand up to the Nazis in a, in a variety of different ways. And, and that's what I will focus on in tonight's talk. I want to circle back to that in just a moment, but I want to give Elizabeth an opportunity to talk about getting Kristen at Brock to talk about this because she's done extensive research on this topic. She has, and I've been following uh, Dr. Simmons's work quite closely, and especially her research on tourism in Nazi Germany. So I teach courses on Weimar and Nazi Germany, and I'm always looking for texts to share with my students, and in particular textbooks. And, and of course, I've always shared some of the work of, of Dr. Simmons with my students. And I was looking for a new textbook and found that this new one had been published. And 
was really excited about the different angle that this takes. It's a it's a it's a very short, really overview introductory text to Nazi Germany, and yet it's quite different from some of the more standard textbooks. And I was so interested and, and fascinated by how much how how difficult it would have been to write this book, but also how what an excellent textbook it is. And so I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to bring bring Dr. Simmons to Brock University to talk about her work and also talk about what goes into writing a book like this as well. Kristen, how did the persecuted oppose their oppressors in Nazi Germany? What did they do? Well, stay tuned for tonight, of course. But <laughs> um, but I suppose one of the things that I could begin by saying is that we immediately need to complicate our idea of what resistance means when we're talking about the groups whose scope of action was so limited by the Nazi regime. So what I want you know audience members tonight to think about is that it goes far beyond um, taking up arms against the regime or you know trying to assassinate Hitler as as perhaps. Um, we might be more familiar with thinking about, but um, you know, small things that might not otherwise constitute resistance. Uh, an act of writing a petition letter uh, to try to get you know um, a family member released from a Gestapo cell, or something like defacing a swastika in public. Um, all of these things become modes of resistance that di- different members of the persecuted groups engaged in. And so, I really had to really think about that. What constitutes resistance and how does it differ from those who really whose horizons of possibilities were actually much larger in scale elizabeth there might be some listeners thinking why are we talking about nazi germany like let's leave this thing alone it's history it's in the past um i'll I'll offer that it's important that we continue to have these conversations so history doesn't repeat itself is that kind of the genesis of tonight's lecture as well uh well it, it is um and i think that because this is um un international day of peace the, the talk is really important to, to of course, it's a, it's a history lesson that we, we need to study history. And it's important for us to understand what happened, how it happened, how people responded, how the past and, and these historical events impacted individuals and in their communities and the aftermath of these events. But on a day like today, we also need to keep in mind what's what's happening around the world and that there are all of these other examples of the persecuted and regimes singling out individuals and, and communities and groups for oppression and uh, and violence that's perpetrated against them. And so it's really important for us to recognize, okay, what can we do to prevent this from happening? Where do we see these types of uh, abuses taking place? And and also recognizing that that uh, that these victims also have agency too. So it's a, it's an important talk to think about, of course, recognizing that we need to remember the past and understand the past, but also thinking about our current events as well. Kristen, one of the most famous uh, among the persecuted was was Anne Frank and her family. Her diary really gave us a, a, an amazing glimpse of what it was like for this group of people. Um, how much will you go into that, or are you pointing to other examples that uh, have been recorded? I'm glad you brought up Anne Frank, um, if only that I can say that, uh, unfortunately, she doesn't play much of a major part in tonight's story, because the focus of the book um, and tonight's talk is on you know, Germans within Germany and uh, the Franks moved to the Netherlands, although they were German in origin fairly early on in the story of the Third Reich. 
but what is interesting is that Anne Frank becomes a kind of point of comparison. Her experiences in hiding were actually quite unique compared to those of many Jew Jewish Germans who had to go into hiding. And um, that'll be something that I do speak about tonight, how, how their experiences of hiding were so different um, in, in sort of the scope and scale and, and the experiences. But I would also suggest that sort of even going into hiding, becoming U-boats, as it was called at the time, submerging, was a way of challenging what the Nazis ultimately intended for Jewish Germans, which was ultimately physical extinction. So instead of just thinking about going into hiding as an act of desperate survival, I think it was really important for me, at least, to start thinking about it as a way of confronting the Nazi regime. Very interesting. Elizabeth, last one to you. we got about 40 seconds. How can our listeners take part in tonight's lecture? Well, the lecture is taking place at Brock University in Pond Inlet. It's at 6.30 p.m. And just a reminder that parking on Brock campus in certain parking lots is free after 6 p.m. And uh, uh, just um, show up. There is no registration. And uh, we would love to see a, a large audience uh, attend this wonderful talk. I'm sure it's going to be a phenomenal conversation. Elizabeth and Kristen, thank you for your time. Best of luck tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much. Kristen Simmons is an associate professor of history at the University of Victoria and author of Under the Swastika in Nazi Germany, tonight's lecturer at Brock University. And Elizabeth Wasak is an associate dean, research and graduate studies and the professor of history in the Faculty of Humanities at Brock University. Great conversation and I'm sure a great one to be had as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So... Oh, was two, three days ago, I was chatting with uh, CHML technical producer Mark Panopoulos. We were talking about a store and an individual connected to this store, and that connection had to do with the tagline. I don't want to give away what the store is because I'm going to play that audio snippet for you in just a matter of minutes. But it got us and it got me thinking about catchy slogans or taglines that companies, that stores use to sell their product or sell their service. And some of the most famous taglines we've heard for years, and it has really helped us identify what these products and services are just by just by listening to the tagline or seeing the tagline on a TV commercial or in a newspaper ad or magazine ad. And it, it boils down to really three things on how these product lines, these taglines or slogans, get your attention and, and what they not force you to do, but entice you to do. Number one, it grabs your attention. It grabs the shopper's attention. Number two, it keeps the brand top of mind for later buying decisions, i.e. when you need a Band-Aid. A lot of people say, hey, I got a cut on my hand, I need a Band-Aid. Well, it's actually a bandage, but the product is Band-Aid. I mean, you think of that product. No difference than Kleenex. Well, you need a facial tissue, but the brand is Kleenex. And uh, the third um, reason why slogans and taglines are very much needed is that it communicates a competitive advantage and value proposition, i.e. when you hear it, you know what you're getting. When you hear the slogan or when you see the tagline, you know what the product is. Just like if I were to mention some of these um, catchiest company slogans ever, like just do it. And what's the, what's the company that was behind the slogan, Just Do It? That was Nike, you know, one of the most famous company slogans ever. What if I said, I'm loving it? Well, you'd probably, if you guessed McDonald's, you would be right. So these are some of the things that 
companies and marketing departments especially think about to say, how can we get our product in front of a lot of these people and as many people? And not only that, but make it instantly identifiable to our product or service. So when you hear the tagline, you know exactly what that product or service or company is. So here are a few taglines or slogans that I'll play for you. From years gone by, and some of them are current, some of them are, are really old, some of them have been around, and the company's like, hey, we're not going to change this. And I, I don't argue that point at all because, hey, it's worked up until this point. So here is company slogan number one, and let's figure out if you know what this company is. That's an easy one, right? You've heard that from time to time on this radio station and others on TV Sleep Country or Sleep Country Canada. Why buy a mattress anywhere else? Instantly identifiable. Well, it's got mattress in the name. You know what the product is. Uh, here's another one. The taste, the taste, the taste is gonna move Again, you've heard that for years as well. This company and this product has not changed that slogan. The taste that's going to move you. Juicy fruit. Yeah, the bubble gum. Instantly identifiable. When you hear it, you think of, yeah, that's juicy fruit. Well, here's another one. The best a man can get. If your guess was Gillette, you would be correct. Again, instantly identifiable. And a lot of these slogans or catchphrases or taglines are really quick. Not a lot of words are needed to pack a punch, i.e. back to the just do it or I'm loving it. Most or the most successful company slogans are about three or four words. That's all you need. Case in point, this one. Where's the beef? Where's the beef? An iconic slogan that you knew Wendy's was part of the discussion. Where's the beef? Oh, what a commercial that was during the Super Bowl way back when. I think it was 1984. Here's another one. When you hear this ad, when you hear this slogan, you know exactly what the product is. What's in your wallet? What's in your wallet? Capital One. And a lot of these companies have used the same person to execute their company slogan. Because that similar voice over and over and over again telling you, hey, what's in your wallet? Or asking you what is in there. You instantly identify with that product. How about this one? The quicker picker-upper. The quicker picker-upper. That is Bounty. If you guessed Bounty, you were correct. Uh, and a lot of these companies use these taglines over and over and over again. The repetition is obviously a big part of this to get it ingrained in your brain. Just like this one. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Now, this might be, I mean, this is kind of going back in the day, but that's Verizon. Can you hear me now? Another iconic company slogan and had a wonderful set of commercials to go along with it. Uh, is this one recognizable to you? A diamond is forever. A diamond is forever. Probably don't have to think too hard about that one. That is De Beers. Iconic tagline from De Beers, the diamond uh, producers or I guess they find them and they polish them all up and make them nice and neat and in uh, rings and other jewelry. Here's another famous slogan and tagline. Easy, breezy, beautiful. Easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. Another instantly identifiable brand thanks to its iconic slogan. How about this one? Are you in good hands? Are you in good hands? That is Allstate. As you can see, like they don't need a lot of words. But as soon as you hear it, you know what the product is. Here's one of my faves. Good to the last drop. Mm hmm. 
Just like my coffee this morning, Maxwell House is good to the last drop. Uh, and it's not just about food. As we've uncovered with some of these taglines, get a load of this one. Don't leave home without it. Oh, one of the most iconic ever. Don't leave home without it. American Express. Legendary tagline that some to this day still remember. And that uh, has been used for a while. Uh, here's a good one. Bet you can't eat just one. Bet you can't eat just one. What is that company? Bet you can't eat just one. That is Lay's Potato Chips. Great slogan from Lay's. Uh, this one has been going around for a while. Taste the rainbow. Taste the rainbow. That is Skittles. By the way, I think it's now the number one, I think it was either hard candy or some kind of candy, sold on the planet. Skittles, and thanks to that slogan. And so here is the one that I was mentioning earlier on this morning where Mark and I were talking about. What was the name of that? We knew, we knew the slogan, but we could not remember the name <laughs> of the place. It's worth the drive to Acton. It's worth the drive to Acton. We both knew it was a leather store. We're like, what was the name of that store? It's the old hide house. Yes, it's worth the drive to Acton. I'm sure it still is. Uh, so there you go. So a long list of uh, iconic, there's so many more that I could play, but a long list of iconic and legendary company taglines and slogans on this morning. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Paul and Shona joining me now on the GMH Roundtable. Good morning. Good, Good morning. Good morning. Earlier this morning, I did a little bit of a bit about slogans and taglines, famous slogans and taglines that when you instantly see them, hear them, read them, you know what the product or the company or the service is. And so um, I got some feedback from some listeners who said, what about this one? And it was basically this. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Do you remember the product that that tagline was associated with? Alka-Seltzer. You are correct. Yes. Yes. I was going to say Rolades, and I thought, no, no, they have another one. They have another catch. Rolades, yeah. yeah, How do you spell relief? How do you spell spell relief? relief? Rolades. R-O-L-A-I-D-S. I I think that's how you spell it. That works, eh? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And studies upon studies have shown that, not necessarily the fewer words you use, but that three or four word catchphrase or slogan is the most impactful, which is interesting, because all you need is... Two or three words. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, this one has a little bit more than two words. Taste that's going to move you. Do you remember what this one is? No. <laughs> I remember the slogan, but I don't know what what taste is that a is that a cigarette? That is, <laughs> <laughs> it is what you would chew on after the cigarette. Juicy fruit. Oh, yeah. yeah, the taste yeah. that's gonna move so you. So is that did that mean it it did that mean it? It helped you with your digestive system? Is that what? I'm not sure. I think it was like, just the tasty you gum. You tell them at a certain age, eh, you know, it's going to move you. <laughs> Gee, you know, and, like, and at Metamucil, they're so unhappy yeah. that that was already taken. Yes, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this conversation started after Mark Panopoulos, CHML uh, technical producer, has been here for years. We were yeah. talking about this famous catchphrase. It's worth the drive to act in. Oh, gee. And we were trying to... F- Remember what the name what, of the what store was. What they were driving was. out to do to the old hide house, right? Exactly. Yes. Old yes. hide house. The old, yes. hide, old house. hide house. And I knew it was a leather store, and I'm like, oh, what was that called? And I had to Google it. Yeah. Yeah. So old hide house. But I, I think we talked about this yesterday. One, I, I'm, I know the two-word one or the three-word one is most effective, mm-hmm. but this is how brilliant the marketing is for McDonald's. 
years ago, they actually told people what was on a Big Mac and put it into a song. Yeah. And everybody back in a certain age knew to all be patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is not two words. No. no. And everybody knew that phrase. <laughs> Absolutely. That is, I mean, that's how good marketers can be when they're really good. Yeah. Now, there is yeah. a tagline that I have always remembered, and it's not two or three words. Okay. And really, you know what they were going for? But they should have worked on it a little bit more. Okay, what was it? Now is the time to plan that funeral you've been putting off. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late. No, you know, you're almost if it, there. If it is too late, <laughs> yeah, 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 you're getting to the finish line. I still think where's the beef's one of the best. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, that was where's the, the beef? That is, man, that was everywhere. That one, was of, one of the most beef. iconic ones. Yeah, where's the beef? There it is. There she is. Here's another one for you. Let me know if you know this one. Good to the last drop. Yeah, that's. Um, Oh, geez, which coffee is it, though? Yeah, which See, coffee is it? Is that Maxwell House? It is. It is. Yes. Maxwell House. Maxwell. You are a winner. Yes. <laughs> yay, yay. What do I get? What do I get? <laughs> you get you know, the three of us with no coffee. coffee yes. yes, that's basically what it is. Well, you, you get to listen to another one. Don't leave home without it. Oh, that's American Express. Yes. Don't leave home without it. And millions of people did not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one that I don't have audio to, but I want because it stumped me. I knew what the product was. I didn't know what the company was. And the slogan is, two words, Got Milk. What is the company behind Got Milk? Jeez. Uh, I know. Yeah. You're like, it's. I know it's a milk company. Nestle's? I don't know. Dairy Farmers of Ontario. That's what I thought, Dairy Farmers of Ontario. That's not a company. Close, but no cigar. It is the California Milk Processor Board. Oh. oh. Yeah. So it's not really a company. We're just pushing milk. Yeah. Right? Got Milk. Drink more milk. So that's their, that's their slogan only, Got Milk? Yeah. Well, I, I guess, which I guess is used because I think I've seen. I think seen, it's been stolen by a lot yeah. of other milk well, marketing boards. I think they I said, think hey, if milks. you produce milk, have yeah, at it. You can, yeah, you, you can, can, you can use it. it. Yeah. Uh, that was easy. Well, that was poor because I don't even remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> they had the red button. You press the easy button. Staples. Staples. That was easy. Oh, see, Th- that didn't, obviously that didn't resonate with me at all. <laughs> <laughs> this is another one that I, I, when I saw it, I thought, I have no idea what this is. Pleasing people the world over. Get your mind out of the gutters, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasing people the world Pleasing over. Pleasing people the world over. Yes, this is a company that was founded in 1952. Wow. It opened the first store in Memphis, Tennessee, and has exploded, obviously, around the world. Because they're pleasing people the world over. People, it's a store or a restaurant? It, it, actually, it's not a store or a restaurant. It's a place by the name of Holiday Inn. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. I forgot that I, was their I slogan. That. I never yeah. knew it started in Memphis, Tennessee. I didn't know that either. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another one too that I thought I don't know this one. Quality never goes out of style. Ooh. That can apply to a lot of things. It could. Yeah. Do you, do you, Shona? Do you remember that slogan? No. Quality this was never. a company that was established in 1873 and is still going strong. See, Paul, what are you saying about my age? <laughs> yeah. You must remember that one, Shona. No, <laughs> back, in, back in the day when we were chewing tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> that was Levi's. Levi Strauss. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Quality never goes out of style. True. I, I read it. I'm like, yeah. I have no idea what that is. You know, Levi's. This is how the car, how how the auto industry's changed so much. Levi's actually used to do uh, seat covers for certain yeah. car for AMC Motor products. Did they really? Yes, the Gremlin. 
the gremlin had inside the house. It was the most valuable piece of the automobile, yes, I'm sure. It was a Levi jean seat. Was wow. It was the selling feature. I mean, did, they, know, did they really sit there and go, how can we make this you, car even uglier? You know the car is a piece of crap <laughs> when the selling feature <laughs> is the jean seat. And was it blue denim as well? Yes. Oh, yeah. So it even actually had the Levi, sitting my, on a pair of pants. My buddy actually had, the, had one, and it had the Levi tag on the driver's wow. side. Yeah. Oh, it was a really ugly car. Oh it man, was, it was yeah. it ever. Yeah. Ugly and really unreliable. <laughs> <laughs> As were many back in the day. Yes, that's right. Kind of took us off topic there. I do apologize. Yeah. Hey, I no, that's re- okay. I just as soon as you mentioned Levi's, I thought, what was there? <laughs> they must have they must have had dozens of big catchy slogans. I guess so. I don't I guess, even know uh, what they are though. The quality never goes out of style. Maybe they're most successful. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, that's gotta be. That maybe is. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. To Lions Lair we go. This is the 13th anniversary of the Lions Lair pitch competition put on by Innovation Factory. It's uh, the gala event's going to go September 27th at Carmen's Banquet Center where 10 finalists will make their pitches to the Lions Lair judges to win some prizes and give them a, well, leg up perhaps on the competition out there as these entrepreneurs who have big ideas and are big innovators uh, can bring their product or service to the next level with the help of Innovation Factory. Our latest finalist is Pocket Clinic, which provides personalized therapy for patients with chronic conditions. And to get more on that is Amir Omidvar, the CEO of Pocket Clinic, who joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Amir, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you, Rick. I'm great. How about you? I'm fantastic, and I'm eager to hear more about Pocket Clinic. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm Amir, CEO and co-founder of Pocket Clinic. Uh, uh, At Pocket Clinic, our core mission resolves around medtech innovation. We are passionate about developing healthcare solutions that generally make a difference in the lives of individuals dealing with chronic conditions. Our flagship project is a revolutionary seven-day wearable smart injector, controllable via a smartphone. It's designed to be a game changer for those managing a type 1 or type 2 diabetes, offering not only pain-free injections, but also personalized and automated treatment management. Our ultimate aim is to help users maintain consistent and safe blood glucose levels. But our vision doesn't stop there. We are dedicated to assign all chronic disease patients who require continuous injections. Our innovation provides extended variability, streamlining uh, uh, treatment, and reducing the complexity of managing multiple devices. The medtech field, as you probably know, is massive. Why did you want to focus on this particular part? Uh, actually, the main reason is that diabetes uh, runs in my family. My father and my grandmother um, challenged this uh, chronic condition. And I see and uh, watch them managing or injecting insulin uh, daily basis. And it was really, really hard for my, especially for my grandmother, struggle, struggling uh, self-injection. Most of the time, my family members, my mom or aunts try to do that. Also, it was really difficult for them as well. So this is a pain-free smart injector. How did you get the idea and how did you develop this? Uh, yeah, um, uh, mainly my background is biomedical engineering and uh, I love to manage uh, the 
devices, high tech devices, or using with their daily use gadget. I uh, we use a micro needle uh, to make this device pain free, and uh, I developed this solution based where I was in Brazil. Actually, I lived in Brazil for nine years, and I found that over there also it's really hard to find a high technology. So it came to my mind I should come up with an idea that can help them, not my family and also other people as well. This is the main reason I focus to find an alternative and also cost-effective solution for them. You can get more information about Pocket Clinic on their website, pocketclinic.life. And we're in discussion with the CEO, Amir Omidvar. Uh, one week, or less than a week, it's actually next Wednesday night, you're going to be at Carmen's Banquet Center for the Lions Lair Gala. You're going to make your pitch. Are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you anxious? What are you feeling? I'm so excited, actually. It's a thrill for me and our team to be selected as a top five finalist. And also, I faced a phenomenal startup. Uh, other startup compete with us, and it makes me nervous to be the best uh, among them. And I'm trying my best. And also, I want to thank Innovation Factory to produce to give us this exposure and also this opportunity to present. And um, they provide some mentorship and also a lot of lot of information and help us to expand our our business ideas. So if you're if you're named the winner, I mean, what are you going to use with the, the the prizing that you get? Um, I love to uh, finalize it and get the the FDA approval, regulatory <laughs> pass it. You know, I we focus to provide this solution faster to the market and deliver to the patients. We would like to do and dedicate this money for this regulatory process and start a clinical trial. Well, it's going to do a lot of good when it eventually does so, and and I'm sure we'll expand uh, to uh, everywhere around the globe. This is an awesome idea, and Amir, I wish you the best of luck at the pitch competition and with this company as well. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Same. Amir Omidvar is the CEO of Pocket Clinic online, pocketclinic.life. You can check out all the finalists online at innovationfactory.ca. Head to lionslayer.ca to get your tickets to the Pitch Competition Gala, September 23rd, Carmen's Banquet Center. You can buy tickets or a table if you wish. And CHML Shona Thompson will broadcast live on the Lions Lair post-gala show, September 28th from 9 until noon, live from Innovation Factory. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.